Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. So good to see you here. Thank you for making time in your busy schedule to meet with us and to meet with Jesus in this place. And uh, today, I want to talk to you about something that all babies get. When they do something, when they smile, when they eat, they get it. Something that uh, some adults seek. They try to do well. They try to do nice things so that they can receive it. In fact, some people are addicted to it. And other people go and pay to give it to other people. Today I want to talk about applause. And today I want to talk to you about how we can receive the applause of heaven. So for that I'm going to ask you to open your notes or your Bible and let's go to the book of Acts chapter 1. See, Jesus had recently been resurrected. Jesus had just left the tomb and he was on the mount telling the disciples the last instructions before his ascension. And even though Jesus was leaving, he wanted to leave the disciples with a promise. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, this power that the disciples were about to receive was power to have an experience. Was power so that they could be able to live through the most challenges, difficult. Uh, uh, difficulties in their lives. Power so that they would be able to share with others what they needed the most and power so that they could be able to love even the not so lovable. And this promise, family, is still available for us today. The reason why Jesus wanted his disciples to experience this power was for the simple and unique reason that we are his representatives. We are the visual representation of Jesus on earth. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and we're very familiar with this text because we spent a long time on this passage a while ago. It reads, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. This is talking about the, the victorious church, the victorious people in the end time. And by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Now this is quite interesting because it does not say but the word of their mouths. Are you with me? It says but the word of their testimony. Now this word testimony is very interesting because in the Greek is the Greek, uh, the word marturia. Can you say marturia? Marturia is the same word from which we get the word martyr. So you know that somebody who has a witness for Jesus is willing to preach even at the moment of death. In other words, it is our experience, our experience with Jesus that preaches the loudest. Because we are the visual representation of Jesus 
on earth. Now the question arises, how? How am I going to be able to do that? Did you ask that question? Are you thinking about it right now? Because we know ourselves, don't we? How am I going to be able to do that? How can I represent Jesus to the world? But the first thing and the first suggestion that I have for you is that the only way that we can do it is when we understand that we need to practice togetherness. Togetherness. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost, and you remember this story, the disciples are had been praying. They've been praying because Jesus told them when he told them that we receive power, he said, go, go to, the, to the upper room and pray, pray so that you can receive this power. And verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is 50 days after Jesus had died. They were all, read it with me, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. There's something interesting about this family because this is the beginning, and listen carefully, this is the beginning of the Christian church. A church cannot start well if it's not praying together. They were not only praying together, but they were praying for each other and they were praying for others. This is the first time the disciples are about to start ministering other people without having Jesus present with them. So you know that the disciples witnessed, they experienced Jesus praying. When Jesus prayed in the garden, that famous prayer that is recorded in John 17, the disciples knew that Jesus was praying. And they experienced the power that Jesus received after praying. So now, they know that the only way that they can receive that same kind of power is if they pray together. Now, this is the birth of the Christian church. And, and there are some similarities between the birth of the Christian church and the birth of Jesus. For example, Jesus was born... In a time of persecution. The Christian church was born while the Christian church was being persecuted. Remember the disciples were told, do not preach the name of Jesus anymore. And we have records in the, in the early book, uh, uh, book of Acts that the disciples were put into prison because they were praying in the name of Jesus. They were preaching in the name of Jesus. So just as Jesus, when he was born, was persecution... And he had to hide. The disciples have to go together to a place. Also, when Jesus begins his ministry, he receives the Holy Spirit. Remember the day that he was baptized by John? The heavens opened and, and the voice was heard, this is my son. And then the Holy Spirit descending on the shape of a dove. Once the disciples prayed in the upper room and they opened the door, they opened it because the presence of the Holy Spirit had appeared with them in the form of fire. The Old Testament Pentecost, 
That was the time when the, when the, when the Hebrews received the Ten Commandments. That day was the beginning of the Hebrew people as the people of God. The New Testament Pentecost is the beginning of the Christian church. Verse 42, Acts 2. And they devoted themselves. Now this is powerful. And they devoted themselves. What does it mean to be devoted? It's committed. It's all in. Devoted to themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, what were the apostles' teachings? Well, they learned from Jesus. And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now let's go back to the word fellowship. The Greek for fellowship is the word koinonia. And that means that everybody is on the same page. Their unity allowed them to use to be used by the Holy Spirit. If they had not been together, if they had not been as one, the Holy Spirit had not descended upon them. But until they experienced togetherness, that the Holy Spirit came on them. That allows them to study the Scriptures. That allows them to have communion. That allowed them to pray. Because see, without unity, you could know all the Scripture in the world. And it's useless. Without unity, you could pray... But your prayers will not be heard. Because see, if you haven't forgiven somebody who's wronged you, your prayers are useless. And if you don't have anybody else to share the scripture that you learn with, it's useless. So the first thing that the Christian church at its birth experimented was that to become the visual representation of Jesus, they needed to experience what? Okay, two people are breathing this morning. They needed to experience what? Togetherness. Thank you. The second, the second way that the, we, the church could reflect Jesus, it was by practicing compassion. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, pro the pro proceeds to all and as any had need. Now this is a difficult text to read in our days. I would not attempt to tell you, let's take it literally. But there's a powerful principle that we need to understand. That all humans, all humans who've lived on this planet, we all share one thing in common. And that is that all of us, all of us are broken. All of us have a need. In fact, there's been studies, and you've seen this before. You've seen it in school, haven't you? 
oh, you were supposed to see in school. Um, this is known as the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And, and it starts on the bottom. The bottom, the largest part, the largest portion of the pyramid is composed by the basic needs. And, and these have to do with food and, and water and, and, and rest and all the, the physiological needs that any human being requires to exist. The second part of the triangle is safety. And that is basically having a roof over your head. The third one is connection. Having relationships. Understanding that there's someone, someone else who loves you and someone that you can love. The next one is competence. And competence has to do with the, the abilities that you have and you're able to use them. That you can be productive. That you can be somebody because of what you do. And the last one is thriving. And that is that you have reached your goals. You have re reached your potential. And I think there's another one nowadays. And that is the need of Wi-Fi. <laughs> I read somewhere this, this week that you know when a friend is really, really your friend when you come to their house and your phone connects to their Wi-Fi automatically. <laughs> we have that need today. But, but see... All of us, all of us have needs. All of us could be placed in any of these areas of the triangle of needs because all of us are broken and we're constantly seeking to satisfy our needs. So when you meet somebody, in fact, the person that is sitting next to you has needs. And what this text is telling us is that there's something that you have, there's something that you possess that you can help, that you can use to help that person in need. Are you with me? I'm not talking about to go and sell everything you have. I'm talking about using what you have to help somebody who is broken. Now, when we get to that point, when we understand that people have needs, and when we understand that I have something that somebody else needs, then I begin to practice compassion. Verse 46. On that... Uh, uh, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, I don't know if you see it here, but, but God is a God that likes food. And we see it through the Bible. The first temptation, what was it about? Food. When Abraham is visited by the angels, what did they share? Food. When Gideon is visited by the angel. No, not Gideon. Um, Gideon was not visited by the angel. Um, oh, my goodness. He was, he, no, no, he was in the place where they step on the grapes. He was hiding. Yeah, it was Gideon. It was Gideon. What does he eat? What does he eat? Uh, after he, he uh, I'm totally blanked. What happened to me? That happens when I don't preach every week. You see? I have to preach every week. Uh, move on. What did the disciples have with Jesus in the New Testament? Food. What is the first miracle happening? At a feast, at a wedding feast. What are we going to do when we get to heaven? The first thing we do, we're going to be at a dinner party. 
See, our God is a God that likes food. Now, if we are a little bit like God, oughtn't we to share what is important to God? Aren't we to experience what God wants us to experience? And when we do it together, we become a little bit like Jesus. So today I have a challenge for you. Are you awake? This is the challenge. This week I want to challenge you, especially some of us who are not involved in any kind of mission. But if you are, even more. To do something that we don't do regularly. For example, next time you go to the laundromat, you know what that is, right? Put coins in a washer and a dryer for somebody else. Next time you go to the market, if you can, pay for somebody's stuff. But if you can't pay for their stuff, help somebody to carry their bags to their car. Or from the car to the house, if they're your neighbors. Next time you go get your coffee, don't lie. You do good coffee. <laughs> Tell somebody that it's bad for them. <laughs> next time you see your neighbors, next time you see your neighbors, ask for their names. Wait, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go crazy now. Smile at them. Smile. See, there shouldn't be such a thing as a sad Christian. That should be an impossibility. In fact, in this place should be the happiest place on earth. Now, so the first suggestion is that we become the visual representation of Jesus when we practice togetherness. The second one is when we practice compassion. Good. Now, the third one, family, is when we practice love. Verse 47. So the disciples were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, this is interesting. With how many people? All the people, not just the ones that were cute, not just the ones that dress well, not just the ones that were wealthy, not just the ones that were like them. They were with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Now, this is powerful. The Lord added to their number. This is adding membership to the Christian church. And the Lord added to their number. What does it say right there? Day by day, every day. Those who were being saved. Uh, let's do a little bit of math here with me, okay? How many days are in a year? 365. 365. Maybe in some countries this is different, but here, 365. Now, 365, that means that at least there were 365 new members every year. That's how many of us are here today. Every year. Can you imagine if we practice these three things, what would happen in our church? But see, God cannot be worshipped 
if we don't practice love. The reality is that God brings people to a church, brings people to a place where he knows, they're one, they're going to be loved, and two, they're going to be helped to grow. That is it. The key of a healthy church, the key of a church that grows is that a church is willing to love and to help people grow. And that's kind of funny because that's what parents do with children. We love them and we help them to grow. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus was approached and he says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Now the disciples are talking. And one of the scribes hears the conversation. And seeing, he says, that he answered them well. So the disciples are Arguing and asking questions, Jesus is answering the question and, and the scribe is paying attention to this conversation, to this dialogue, to this question and answer session. So when he hears that Jesus is responding correctly, he asks Jesus a question. Which commandment is the most important? Now, let, let, let me tell you that a scribe was someone who was considered by all scholars as somebody who was an actual scholar on the scriptures. So if anybody had the answers was the scribe. But he asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, and Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, let me unpack this a little bit for you, put it in simple terms. What Jesus is saying here, you, uh, to the scribe, see, you already know this, scribe, because you're a scribe. Since you were a little kid, you memorized the Torah. But let me tell you, if you're going to love God, you need to love Him with your heart. You need to love Him with your heart, and that means that all your emotions have to be in tune with the emotions of God. And then he says, you need to love God with all your soul. That means, scribe, that your feelings have to be like the feelings of God. You need to love God, scribe, with all your mind. That means that all your thoughts need to be in accordance with the thoughts of God. And you need to love Him with all your strength. And family, pay attention. Because that means that all your actions, yes, I said, all your actions need to be in agreement with the actions of God. So the scribe is, whoa. And Jesus said, verse 31, the second is this. Now, did the scribe ask him about the second one? No, but Jesus, just in case, he tells him, and the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment, no other commandment greater than these. Now, let me tell you that the Jews had an issue understanding who their neighbor was. If you remember, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And they were still asking, well, who's my neighbor? It was like Jesus saying, duh. 
Peter didn't understand who his neighbor was. Jesus had to give him a, a vision of a cloth with animals. Remember that vision? And he didn't get it. He had to send him to the house of Cornelius to get it. Because the Jews didn't understand who the neighbor was. Now let me ask you a question, family. Do you understand who your neighbor is? I'm not talking the one that shares your street address. I'm talking about everyone that you have contact with. Inside and outside of church. At and outside of your work. That is our neighbor. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you. Now, I cannot understand the magnitude and the power of the love of Jesus for us. But he's saying that we need to love others the same way he loves us. Would that mean that I have to sacrifice something that I'm comfortable with so that I can love somebody else? You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people, by this all people, are you with me? By this all people we know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you understand that being a disciple of Jesus does not mean that you speak the lingo, does not mean that you wear the clothes, does not mean that you have the diet. It means that you love everyone else the same way you love everyone else. Now, there's something interesting about this because, see, in the Bible, the first time that people were called Christians was in a city named Antioch. And Antioch was a very interesting city. It was divided in four quadrants. And one of those quadrants were Romans. And another quadrants were Greek. And another quadrants were Jews. And another quadrant were new settlers that were coming by the diaspora. The Romans were, were bringing people from other places to that city. So the city is divided. And there, there's walls dividing the quadrants. People from one quadrant would not mingle with the people from the other. In Acts 11:26, I don't remember if you have it in your notes, but let me read it to you. When we had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So somebody was brought to Antioch. The name is not important. This is what's important. For a whole year, it says, they met with the church and taught a great many people. For how long? One year. One year the Christians mingled with the people in Antioch. For one year. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let me explain this to you if you haven't seen it yet. In this city where segregation was delineated and was a practice of the day, the Christians broke the barriers of, of division between races, between cultures, between peoples, and they treated everybody the same. They acted with everybody the same. They shared everybody the same way. And then people identify them as little Jesuses. They became the visual representation of Jesus. Now, you know about Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul? He was very interesting character because we know his background. He was, he was a, a, a scholar. He was a religious fanatic. He was so fanatic that he chased Christians. But once he met Jesus, his life began to change in such a way that he became... A model of Jesus. Now let me explain this to you. 
In chapter 2 of Timothy, I mean in the second epistle of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 8. Paul is about to be sentenced to death. To his, to his beheading. And he writes this letter to Timothy. Someone that he had been mentoring over the years. And he writes, And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the date of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all. For how many? For all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now we understand by reading this version of the scripture that it says that the crown is the prize. When I read what the message translation reads... It even hits me, hit me even harder. It, let me read it for you. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish. Believed all the way. All that is left is the shouting. God's applause depend on it he's an honest judge he'll do right not only by me but by everyone eager for his coming paul was was willing to be together with people who were different than him paul was willing to practice compassion and paul was living to love even the not so lovable. Paul knew that in the moment his eyes were open, the one thing that he will hear was going to be the applause of heaven. Today you may ask, there's no way I can be like Paul. Because perhaps you think about the times that you've been selfish. The times that you had an opportunity to be somebody to somebody else and you chose not to. To do something for somebody else and you chose to turn around. Perhaps all you see as you try to climb higher in your Christian life, you see only broken ladders. But let me tell you today. We have a God that out of the broken... He makes hold. We have a God that out of the brokenness of our heart, He makes a loving heart. And we have a God that is willing to turn what could not be used in humanity to be used for the divinity. And as we think on these words, let us hear this song that Stephanie is going to sing for us. the things that gold can buy 
so why do I try? All you ever wanted was my heart, my heart, my sinful heart. To you, that's all that really mattered. Why do I feel I have to reach? Believe I have to rise when you said I had to climb these broken ladders. You never asked me to be complete. By myself, find all I need. So why do I try? You never me to stand alone, face the struggles on my own. So why do I try? All you ever wanted was my heart, my heart, my sinful heart. To you that's all that really mattered. Why to rise when you never said I had to climb these broken ladders when all they do is take my eyes off of you make me forget the truth all you ever wanted was my heart my heart my sinful heart to you that's all that really mattered why do i feel i have to reach believe i have to rise when you never said i had to climb oh you never said i had to There's nothing that is worth more. In fact, James tells us that the only religion that is approved by God is to take care of the orphans and the widows. And I think if we are to be known by something as a church, it's not by the things that we're against, but by the things that we're for. And we are for the things that God cares the most, and that is people. There's only two things that we're going to take to heaven. The Word of God, because it's eternal, and people. People redeemed by the blood of Jesus because we are worth his blood. So what matters to God the most is that we care for people. But everything starts when God changes our heart. So today, family, I, I want to ask you, I want to invite you, I want to make a call this morning for each one of you who want God to start working in your heart so that you is become that person that reflects Jesus. 
on this planet. And, it's, and if that is you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Stand up, raise your hand, come to the front. I, I don't know, whatever you want to do. But, but, but I want to pray today because I, it's time that we start to be the church that God wants us to be. And it can only start when we are together. It can only start when we are committed. When we have a shared heart and a committed cause. And that can only happen when we open our own heart and let Jesus come in. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today we are gathered here today not because we are worthy but because of you. You are the only one who is. We read in the book of Revelation that the question was asked, who is worthy? And Lord, we tell you we are not at all. But Jesus is. And because in his name, he said that when we asked, our prayers will be answering, our needs will be satisfied. We pray today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that our greatest need is to have a new heart. Give us a heart like the heart of Jesus. Give us a heart full of compassion, full of love for those that we don't even think right now we'd be able to love. Give us a forgiven heart that could take us from the place of sourness and bitterness and resentment to a place of joy and happiness and peace. Give us a heart to give to the one that needs. But not only money. It's easy to write a check. Help us, Lord, to give our time. Help us to, live, uh, to, to give our abilities, our talents. Because any one of us can clean with a mop. Help us, Lord, to do something for somebody else. Help us to move from our comfort zone to your loving zone. And help us, Lord, in that way to climb higher in the ladder of your love. Mend our broken ladders. Mend our broken hearts. And Father, that this church in West Covina become a light to the valley. Use every one of us so that Jesus can come soon. In his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.